Hey, good afternoon, everyone, or good morning, depending on where you are joining in from. Uh, this is Christopher Calandra. Thanks for joining me on the mid-year economic update. It has been uh, a crazy year. I think we can all agree, but I wanted to share with you some of my thoughts on uh, what's happened, kind of where we are now, and discuss a little bit about where we might be going. There's an awful lot going on, so much negativity. So uh, I, think, uh, I think we put together a really good presentation for you. Hopefully, you'll find value in it. In terms of questions, I uh, want to be respectful of everybody's time. There is the chat button. Um, so if you want to fire off a question using chat, uh, if there's time at the end, we'll get to it. I want to keep this at around 30, 35 minutes. I should be able to do that. Um, and if we don't get to your question, reach out afterwards. Or if you have questions, you could direct them to me by phone or email, and we could get to them separate from today's presentation. So I usually start, um, start with a quote. I'll do so this time. It's unknown, but it is an investor. An investor's worst enemy is not the stock market, but their own emotions. What's happening now, including with the markets, is a lot of emotion. Uh, there's a lot that's gone on this year, but even the last couple of years. It's been a challenging few years that began with the pandemic, of course. So the agenda, I want to talk a little bit about the tough start to the year, cover a bit on bear markets, sort of a historical perspective. I want to cover some reasons to worry. This is sort of a common format for me, is talk about some of the things that are problematic, and there are a lot of them. Uh, I want to cover a little bit on the interest rate front, talk about uh, the recession risk, one of the big themes that I have had the last couple of weeks, and it will be a theme, an important topic for uh, the second half of this year and maybe beyond, is something called the wall of worry. I want to talk about that. And then cover some causes for optimism. You might be thinking there are no causes for optimism, but there are. And I want to discuss some of uh, the ones that I think are important with you. So Q2. Uh, continue to be tough. The markets were down in the first quarter, and they were down even worse in the second quarter, punctuated by a really, really awful June. This meant that the markets officially entered into bear market territory, which is defined as a drop of 20% from a previous high. We also saw more activity from the Fed with them raising interest rates by 0.75% in June. Uh, that was the biggest rate hike since 1994. What I'm talking about there, everyone, is that over the last generation, the Fed has mostly moved in quarter point increments. They would raise rates maybe 0.25% or one quarter of 1%, or they would reduce rates by a quarter point. Uh, this time around, uh, they made the big jump of 0.75%. That was very notable. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we get into uh, some other slides, because I think it's noteworthy. Uh, 
the expectations are that the Fed will continue to raise rates throughout the balance of this year because of inflation, which of course continues to be a major issue. And I want to point out, and we're going to touch on this throughout today's discussion, is that Americans are in a sour mood. It seems to me, and there is lots and lots of polling that fleshes this out, says that Americans are in a sour mood. And that optimism, that optimism that we had through the back end and coming through the hardest portion of the pandemic, that optimism for what would come next, seems to have melted away. And that has plagued the markets to this sour mood that the country is in. I touched on bear markets before. As I said, the definition of a bear market, a drop in a market of 20% or more, most major markets, including the NASDAQ, got to that threshold in the first half of the year. I'm a history geek as well as a financial geek, and I want to share with you a few pieces of information regarding bear markets because it sounds so scary. And it's certainly not good, but maybe not as scary as you might think. To begin with, bear markets last for less time than bull markets. Bull markets are periods when the market is on the upswing. So the average bear market lasts for 9.6 months. Now those often are very difficult months, but 9.6 months. Uh, we're at about seven months. Bull market averages uh, average lasts about 2.7 years. And that tells you that you often are in an uptrend market more than you're in a downtrend market. Even though we're in one now, that gives cause for some optimism that on the other side of this, this difficult period will be followed by a rebound. I have confidence in that. I can't guarantee it, but that's what history teaches us. The other historical point about bear markets is that they do occur with regularity. Uh, the average frequency between bear markets is 3.6 years. Technically, we had one, although it was very brief, in that March-April of 2020 time period when the pandemic came upon us like a tidal wave. Uh, before that, we had gone quite a while without a bear market, longer than average, but they do happen on average about 3.6 years. The other point before moving on is that with talk of recession, which we're going to cover in some upcoming slides, is a lot of people are under the mistaken impression that a bear market automatically means that it will accompany a recession. And that's not what history uh, teaches us. There's been 26 bear markets, and 50% of the time, the bear market was paired with a recession. And we're going to talk again in a couple of slides about where we are, might we get into a recession, but just because we're in a bear market does not automatically mean we will end up in a recession. So. Hopefully I made that clear. Uh, reasons to worry. Reasons to worry. This is not a complete list because there seems to be a lot of worrisome things, items that uh, 
items that, uh, sorry, I got distracted there for a second. I thought maybe I lost internet connection, which would have been bad. Uh, there's lots of reasons to worry. This is not a complete list, but I think it does capture some of the essential ones. Inflation, I don't need to tell you, is the topic of the day. It has captured the imagination in not such a great way of the American people. It is a very clear problem. One of the things that I often say as I speak with folks is there are some things where you want or need your talking heads in the media or politicians or even economists to kind of explain. People don't need inflation explained to them. It's very obvious as to what's going on. I'll often give the example of you, you head out and you fill up your gas tank in the car and you say, wow, prices are up at the gas tank, although they have come down a bit the last stretch. Uh, and then you meet some friends for lunch and you're like, wow, lunch prices. You go to the grocery store to pick up some stuff for dinner and you realize, wow, my grocery bill is way higher than it used to be. Then you get home, you open up your bills, and you look at your credit card statements, your utility bills, and again, you recognize that prices have increased. You don't need anybody to explain it to you. It is in your face, very tangible, and it is impacting, for the worse, all Americans every day in demonstrable ways. So inflation is the key issue. What that has meant is the Federal Reserve has swung into action and begun raising interest rates. They've raised interest rates three times. I mentioned on the previous slide, most recently in June, with a 0.75% interest rate hike. There are some expectations that the next interest rate hike may actually be 1% interest rate hike, which would be very notable. The reason for this, the reason for this is that the Federal Reserve and the White House have largely gotten the inflation story wrong. Last year, there was evidence that inflation was coming, but the position of the Federal Reserve and of the White House was that it was going to be temporary. Also, the thought was that it wouldn't get as bad as it's gotten. So events have overtaken that mistaken thought it's going to last way longer than they originally thought, and it's much higher than was originally forecasted. What this means, though, is that the Federal Reserve is behind the curve. They waited longer than they probably should have to begin fighting against inflation. And so that is the reason why you're seeing not quarter-point increases, but 0.75% or maybe even 1% increases, it's because they waited too long, because they were mistaken. And then even when they started to raise interest rates to defend against inflation, the first interest rate hike was only a quarter point. Uh, in hindsight, I suspect that they wish they had done more because inflation has intensified continually, seemingly month after month. So that's kind of all worrisome. We have a lot of inflation. We have rising interest rates. We have a Fed that is behind the curve and a White House that has gotten caught off guard a little bit, especially based on their 2021 proclamations. And this is all given uh, way to significant risks of an inflation. I have another slide I'll talk more about inflation, but this is kind of a 
a bunch of worrisome things, I think we can all agree. One other point that is worth mentioning, this is not a political uh, conversation, but it's almost impossible, and I'm sure you guys could all appreciate this, it's almost impossible to talk about what's happening in the markets, in the economy, in the country, without talking about what's happening in our body politic. But I referenced polling earlier. There is lots of polling that indicates that Americans are not happy with the direction of the country or the performance of the country. And that really means that President Biden and his administration um, is not polling well. Uh, I talked recently about a, a Gallup poll that I think is a good representation of the mood of the country. It found that this Gallup poll, 88% of Americans rated the economy as either fair or poor. That's 88%. It's hard to get 88% of Americans to agree on anything. 34% uh, uh, rated the economy as fair. A whopping 54% rated it as poor. Um, you know, that's, that's not good for the White House and an indication of that sour mood I referenced already a few times. And in that same poll, some 85% of Americans thought that the economy was getting worse. That's a problem. It's a problem politically, but it's also an issue for the economy, this negative sentiment. Even this morning, I um, saw a CNN poll, which I believe we could all agree is not exactly a bastion of conservative news. Uh, they did a poll and they found that uh, 7 in 10 Democratic voters thought that Democrats, Democrats, thought that the Biden administration was not focused on issues that were important to them, which means that the Biden administration may not only be perceived as making some missteps or not making good policy prescriptions, but a lot of Americans think that they're not even focused on the right things. Now, again, this is not a political commentary. I would love to do that. I love talking politics, but this does play into everything because um, people's attitudes, if they're negative and they behave a certain way based on that negativity or the negativity they see around them, it can affect their pocketbook issues. Um, the sour mood I already talked about, um, this is very unhelpful and it is that is where we find ourselves given the optimism that was so strong not too long ago. So I think those are the, the key things that are worrisome for the economy and it's partly an economic problem, it's a problem for the market and it's also an issue when you look at what the politicians are confronted with, especially our president. I've talked about interest rates a bit, but I wanted to give you a visual graphic that shows where we are. Because if you look to that bottom right, you can see clearly how interest rates have jumped up quite a bit with that red color showing what's happening, what happened just in June. And we're likely, very likely, to add to that in the upcoming months where that graphic to the far right grows higher. 
But you could also see that it comes off very low levels that we've been in since the pandemic. And if you go and you look at that graphic, we had those very low levels between 2009 and 2015 or so. And you could also see that even though it's jumped up a lot recently, especially in June, when you go back farther, we're still a long way from what used to be the norm. Looking at the list of people that are in here, uh, a lot of you have experiences where you could say, my first mortgage was X, or I remember when I used to get so much in my CD. Uh, these interest rates uh, have been historically low for over a decade now, for the most part, other than that brief increase in that 2016-2020 time frame. Um, so from a historical standpoint, we're still low, but it is a little jarring how quickly rates have gone up and they're likely to go up. But again, I remember the mortgage I got in 1993 when I was 23 years old was 8%. Um, we're still a ways away from mortgage rates that are that high. But you could also recognize when you were accustomed to three and now it's at almost six, uh, it makes an impact. It definitely makes an impact. I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing the real estate market begin to soften. Earlier, I said that I wanted to talk about a recession, that I had a slide in um, that specifically touched on that topic. So here's the slide. Uh, a recession is defined generally as two consecutive quarters where the economy shrinks, where gross domestic product decreases. We had that in the first quarter of this year where the economy shrunk. And we don't know yet how the economy perfor performed in the second quarter. That will be released on July 28th, which I think is next Thursday. It won't surprise me at all if we are in a recession and it comes in as a negative number. Uh, my prediction, and I would not, I would not uh, build too much into my prediction because it's not exactly what I do day in and day out, compile statistics on this stuff, but my sense is that we're likely in a recession. I think it probably will come in at a very small negative number where the economy might have shrunk, but just a teeny tiny bit in the second quarter. It wouldn't surprise me if it might have grown just a little bit, allowing us to say that we avoided a recession. But irregardless, I think economic growth slowed in the second quarter, and the economy is either in a recession or is awfully close to recession levels. If we are in a recession, like I think we might be, and will become, will it stay shallow? Will it stay shallow, and how long will it last? And that'll be something that'll be debated on, uh, on uh, the news and all of that stuff. If we're not in a recession and we manage to avoid it in the second quarter, the discussion will continue to be, um, might we end up in a recession because of what actions the Federal Reserve is taking? Because the Federal Reserve raising interest rates is meant to slow economic growth, to slow demand, to dampen the price hikes. That is exactly what the Fed is trying to do. And a result of that might be choking off economic growth and throwing us into a recession, which is not necessarily under the world, but if we could avoid it, it would be good. 
What's weird about this, what's weird about this is usually you would have a recession that would be accompanied by a weak job market where you have companies downsizing and reducing their payroll or at least not hiring. We don't have that. We don't have that right now. We have a pretty strong job market where we've seen employment gains pretty consistently and that high unemployment rate we had during the height of the pandemic has worked its way down to close to where we were pre-pandemic. The unemployment rate was 3.5% in June after being 3.6% in May. The other thing is consumer spending is still strong despite inflation. Consumers are still out there and are behaving pretty strong. That's helpful to the economy. The world of worry. The world of worry. I talked about it when I discussed today's agenda. This is an old Wall Street adage, and it goes like this. The market, the stock market in particular, can stage a recovery in the face of a lot of negativity and a lot of, a lot of bad news. I believe that the second half of this year, the ingredients are in place where we can climb the wall of worry. How could that happen? There's a few elements to this. One is people kind of get accustomed to the new normal. We have some bad news with inflation, and it's shocking, and it's causing problems. But people will adjust. They will adjust to the new normal, even if it's not such a good normal. And what might have been really, really scary might turn out to be, okay, I can deal with this. And that might help the markets climb the wall of worry and begin to stage a recovery. The other thing that happens sometimes and can happen in this instance, I think, is that you start to get less than lousy bad news. It's still not good news, but it might be a little bit better than expected. Let me give you an example. Inflation in May was 8.6%. Economists expected the consensus was unemployment. It was 8.6 in May. Economists expected it to be 8.8% in June, which is not good because it worsened. That's what the expectation was. It came even worse than that at 9.1%. So that's not good, right? 8.6% not good. 9.1 is not good. An estimate of 8.8 .8 is not good. Going from 8.6 to 9.1 is not good. All of that is not good. You're going in the wrong direction trend line. But what if, what if, instead of 9.1, it came in at 8.2%? This is hypothetical, of course. There's a good chance people would be like, hey, that's a bit of good news. We're going in the right direction. It was 8.6. Now it's only 8.2. 8.2 is a terrible number, problematic number. But you'd say, yeah, it was 8.6, now it's 8.2. We're going in the right direction. Things are getting a little bit better. What the Fed is doing, what the White House is doing, what businesses are doing, it's getting a little better. That can help the market climb the wall of worry and maybe stage a bit of a recovery. Uh, that's what I think we might be set up for in the second half. It's a bit of hopefulness. Uh, that is something that I am going to watch very closely for the remainder of uh, this year and beyond. It's uh, going to be a recurring theme for us. I did talk about this in greater length on my podcast, The Simply Financial Show, which I think we're in 
I don't know, the sixth or seventh year. I've been at that a while. I get great feedback. I know a lot of you listen with some regularity, but you may want to check out this episode where I talk more about the Wall of Worry. And uh, you could uh, go to the Elliott Wealth website and look at the podcast inventory. You could find it in there. Or call us or shoot us an email. We'll send you a link. So as we begin to move towards the, the end of the uh, presentation, I wanted to talk about causes for optimism. Uh, I joked at the beginning that you might not think there aren't any, but I do think there are uh, a few points. Uh, I already touched on this. The fact that we have a strong labor market and the unemployment rate is low is a very healthy sign. Uh, when people are working, that means they're making money. It is in and of itself cause for optimism. Now things may start going in the wrong direction and so it might change from a cause for optimism to the worry page, but so far so good. Uh, another adage in addition to wall of work is a term called don't fight the Fed. And that is that the Federal Reserve has a lot of power and when they set out to do something, they could usually accomplish it. And so the don't fight the Fed is you don't really want to make investments or bets that are contrary to what the Fed wants because they're likely to get what they want. They've swung into action with interest rates. They might be late. They might have started off too slow, but they seem to be intent on getting this inflation thing under control. It's not going to be quick, but they're committed to it, it seems. And so that means that a lot of those worries can begin to subside if the Fed gets its way and gets inflation to stop increasing, to crest, and then to begin to decline. It's not going to happen next week, but I wouldn't fight the Fed. I think they're going to get what they want, and that will help with the wall of worry because maybe we start to see the inflation numbers stop growing, crest, begin to decline, and that might happen sooner than a lot of people expect. Another cause for optimism is that corporate earnings might be better than expected. I talked about the wall of worry, which I started talking about sometime around June 20th or so. And June was an awful month, uh, the worst of the six months that amounted to the first half of the year. July has been better. And when you look yesterday, the market had a great day, had a great day. And that was fueled by some really good corporate earnings. It wouldn't surprise me, in part because of the strong consumer and the fact that U.S. businesses are financially healthy, good balance sheets, well-led, um, they are pretty competitive, I think. It wouldn't surprise me if corporate earnings hold up better than expected, even an economic slowdown or even a recession. That's a good cause for optimism. Uh, the midterm elections. As I stated before, this is not meant to be a political discussion, but I believe that Americans with a sour mood will kind of feel good about things when they get to November and they're able to vote, because that'll be a chance for them to do something. The third adage I will throw out at you today, we did wall of worry, we did don't fight the Fed, is throw the bums out. Now, I'm not saying Democrats are bums and Republicans are heroes or nothing like that, but... The American people are in a sour mood. They'll be able to go to the polls in November and maybe do a course correction. If you believe the polling, the Republicans are likely, likely to take control of one or both 
chambers of Congress. Americans will have a chance to vote, maybe throw the bums out, course correct. It happens a lot. Um, usually, the party that is in power in the White House loses seats in the midterm elections. It's kind of a normal thing. So I think that might be good psychologically for the American people to be able to do something and really voice their displeasure at some of the things that's gone on. I'm not commenting on that's right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm not saying everything is President Biden's fault. I'm not saying any of that. But that is a psychological element that I think might lend itself to some optimism. American dyn dynamism. This is a, a constant theme for me. And you've probably heard me say this. We live in a great country. The U.S. economy is still the envy of the world. And part of that is because we have a great ability to work through problems. It might not be easy. Sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes there's some fighting, bitter fighting amongst people about what direction, who's right, who's wrong. But if you think back to 20, the American uh, economy, the country, was really able to adapt and evolve very quickly in some very difficult circumstances. And I believe, as always, there's cause for optimism as we go through this very difficult episode because businesses, Americans, even our politicians, they will react, adjust, evolve, pick your adjective, and that always is a cause for optimism for me, and hopefully you can see that as well. And the last bullet point is, I know it's faded into the back page a bit, is this conflict in Ukraine. It is a very good thing that it has not spread. It is awful what's happening there, sad to see war and all of the destruction it brings. Uh, but back in February and March, the risk that the war spread, perhaps triggering World War III or a larger land war in Europe, was... Uh, maybe not super high, but higher than it had been, uncomfortably high. And I think it's good that it hasn't spread, and it seems like uh, that is unlikely to happen. So those are some key causes for optimism. I kind of feel good about the second half of the year, despite all the negativity. It's not that I'm oblivious to it, obviously not, but um, I really like this wall of worry theme that I have. So that's kind of the, the nuts and bolts of the economic update. This slide is kind of a stock slide for me. I use this in webinars regularly. I just want to remind you that what you could expect from us is a regular, a regular review of changes that might affect you. We want to stay up to date on things. We want to have regular communication. We want to reach out to you by phone, by email, the podcast, our Zoom meetings. There's a lot of ways we want to communicate to you what we think and where we believe the country is. We also want you to communicate with us. If you have concerns, there's a change in your life, uh, you read something, you have an idea, so please reach out to us. That's what we're here for. And the last bullet point is that we're going to continue to review economic, tax, estate, and investment issues for our clients so that we could stay abreast of what is going on. Uh, this, too, is another slide that's pretty standard for me, but it's worth repeating. Your health and your well-being is our highest priority. We really appreciate, the team and I do, the opportunity to assist you with your financial needs. 
our motto, our internal motto, is we're always planning for your success together. So I appreciate you listening today. Uh, I went a little over the 30 minutes. I think we're at roughly 33 minutes now. So maybe we could hold off on questions. But I encourage you uh, to email me or call if you have any thoughts, any feedback, um, constructive criticism, compliments, questions, whatever. Shoot us an email. Call the office. We'll be responsive. Uh, but uh, I thank you for listening today. I tried hard, hard to communicate some valuable information. Hopefully I was successful. And I also hope that all of you have a great remainder of the summer and that the uh, second half of the year is a wonderful one for all of us. Thanks for listening today. I hope to talk to you soon. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of SagePoint Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note, the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through SagePoint Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with SagePoint Financial.